the book of Job, chapter 1. I was intending to preach tonight from Romans chapter 12, part of a series that I had preached on that chapter, but I was also asked today, uh, this morning, to preach in Hudsonville Church for baptism. And I decided to preach that sermon again tonight. It's on Job 1, verse 5. And the title, or the theme, is going to be A Father's Prayers. But it's equally, equally applicable to all of us who are entrusted with the care of another soul, care of children, teachers, elders, and then all of us as members of the church as we're entrusted with the care of the souls of the generation that is arising in the church. So let's read first this well-known chapter, Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every day, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, for Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, 
and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in, the, in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men. And they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. May God sanctify his word to our hearts. We look at the fifth verse tonight. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. At the birth of our first child, a little girl, in 1983, my father and mother drove up from South Holland to see her at Blodgett Hospital. And I remember my father standing with me by the window looking into the nursery, my father a man of very few words, and he would often refer to me as boy. And he said to me, boy, the Lord has given you that child to teach you how to pray. Now, I did not mean that I had not prayed previously to that. I was a minister. It did not mean necessarily that my prayers 
were not acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He didn't mean anything like that. But he meant to say to me that with the gift of this child and the responsibility that I would bear as a father, that now my prayers would enter into a new dimension that now my prayers would by God's hand be deepened and become more focused and fervent and that God through the gift of this child would teach me how to call upon his name with all my heart and teach me to understand my insufficiency and my own inabilities to do anything of good to this child apart from his grace. Our text is an encouragement to us as fathers. Our text is an encouragement to us who have been given the responsibility of the care of other souls, whatever that position may be. Our text is a, an encouragement to us as a congregation when we're raising up the coming generation and the many children and young people that I see in your midst. It's an encouragement to us. For here in our text, we see Job exercising his office, his being an office bearer in his family. The father and mother, parent, is a prophet, priest, and king. As prophets, we are to teach our children the word of God and to nurture them in that word. As kings, as fathers, we are to graciously, wisely, rule over our household. As elders, we are called to do that in this church. But as priest, and that's the focus of our text, Job and his priestly office, it is our calling to bring the needs of our children as fathers, as elders, as anyone in authority over a soul, to bring the needs of that soul through intercessory prayer to God. Is the priestly work of a father that is the focus of our text. Job rose up early and sent and sanctified them and offered burnt offerings for them. He did the two works of a priest in the Old Testament. The first was sacrifice. He pointed them to the blood of Jesus Christ as the only hope and power of forgiveness of sins. And then he also sent and sanctified them. He prayed, he interceded, that they might be holy, that they might be strong, that they might resist temptation, that they may walk as a child of God in this world in truth. And I would have you note with me in this passage that the aspect, the only aspect or illustration of Job's godly character is this priestly work of Job. In verse 8, God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? There is only one example given of that upright, godly walk in the life of Job. And the example that is given is not the many contributions that the book brings out later that he had been giving of his wealth to children and to the poor. The example is not the high regard and respect that the community paid for him for his integrity. The example was not that in the business world he had reached the top and he still was an ethical man. Those were not the examples that were listed. But the example was 
his prayer. His prayer is for his family. His prayer is fervently for his family. What testimony would be given to us to demonstrate a godliness running through our lives as men, as fathers, as leaders, or to any one of us, what would it be said? Of Job, it was said, he was a praying man for his children. I call your attention to a father's prayer. Their great concern, that's the first point, is great or supreme concern in the prayer. Number two, their continual fervency. And finally, their covenant basis. The supreme concern that Job had for his children was holiness. Their holiness before God. And that's what brought him in the morning to his knees. A father, I wish to make this also applicable to teachers, elders, to anyone in authority or given the care of a soul, but now especially a father, has many concerns on his heart for our children. And so the scriptures say to us as fathers and as leaders in our homes, in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, that we must be sober-minded. We must be aware of the responsibilities that God has placed us in over our children. And so we must bear these responsibilities. We must be concerned for their health, for their safety, for their clothing, for their education. We must be concerned to prepare them and equip them for their life in this world and God's calling. We must be a breadwinner. We must be a guide. We must be a leader in the home. We must correct them. We must work and provide for the home, the school, and the church. And all of these things, especially perhaps as a young man, but at any given time, they can become exceedingly pressing upon our hearts, these earthly needs. And prayer is necessary for us as men for that. And so Jesus taught us, pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're praying there for our own hearts to trust God to provide us with the means to care for our families, to perform the tasks that he has given us to do. And we pray that so that our children see that we go to the throne of grace. We go there personally for the needs that we have. And we pray that in front of our children, or should pray that in front of our children. And he says he feeds the sparrows And he's going to take care of you in your position as a teacher, as an elder, in your home, whatever that is, your responsibility, he will give you what you need. But Job's chief concern as a father is not here that. His concern is spiritual. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. 
His chief concern arose out of the fact that he knew, because he knew himself, that his children were sinners. And that there is always a great power and potential of sin present in their lives. Now it's very important for us to see that verse 4 of Job 1 is not to be read in a negative way, a negative commentary upon his ten children, on the spiritual character of his children. When we read, his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. We must not see Job's children and their gathering together in the day that they were all died. We must not see that, that they were partiers, that they were drunken, that they indulged in sexual immorality and in gross sins. We must not even see them that because their father was so wealthy that they were spoiled and rich and simply gave themselves to a life of luxury. If this were so, then Job would not simply have prayed for them. He would have gone to talk to them. But rather, that verse is describing a family as a a blessing of fellowship, of covenant fellowship with each other. The ten of them, as siblings, got along well together and perhaps married with their wives, got along well and enjoyed each other's company and their children visited with their cousins and nephews and so on. They were a close family, and Job knew of these family gatherings. But he also knew of the power and presence of sin. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He was aware of sin in them because he was aware of its presence in himself. He saw the potential that his sons and daughters would curse God. Now that word curse could better be here uh, interpreted dismissed, farewell, to say farewell. It's the same word that is used in chapter 2 verse 9 concerning Job's wife when she says to him, curse God and die, dismiss God, and die. And so it's not a four-letter word that they were saying, out loud or inwardly, but his concern was, and it's our concern for ourselves and for our children today in this world, that we dismiss God, that we simply back away from Him, that we begin to say, Farewell. Well, not formally. We're, we're here in church. We wouldn't do that. We, but in practical, mental, actual heart, we begin to withdraw from him and seek simply ourselves and our own flesh and the things of this world. He was concerned that this would happen. And this was not a false concern. He's dead on in reality. Job's concern was that his children would be preserved by God in a true life of godliness and fellowship with God. 
And he's concerned about that because he knows the presence and the power of sin in the hearts of the people of God in his own. He's not a father who simply would immediately rise to the defense of his children and say, my kid, my son would never do that. But his prayers were continually for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, that that blood would keep and restore and strengthen and forgive their sins. Job was not a father who was driven by earthly pride that he conceived of his children that they were going to attain to things and be the best at things and promote them to drive themselves to fulfill his inward desires. But he was concerned about their heart, about their soul. And he knew. He knew the temptations and sins that they would face. And so he prayed. When we were little boys, when we were teenagers and gotten together to plan our little thing, and suddenly we discovered that Dad would say to us, if you're planning to do this, don't do it. That somehow he knew. And how did he know? Well, he knew because he knew his own heart. And he knew because parents, godly parents, know the hearts of their children and young people better than you children and young people know your hearts. And so he is, as a father, concerned about their hearts. And as a father, wants to show them the battle of faith that he has waged his entire life long. And he prays for them. Prayers of holiness. Job's prayer centered then in the hearts of his children and centered in two things. And those two things can be remembered with you when you remember the hymn, Be of Sin, the Double Cure. Save from wrath, the guilt of sin, and make me pure. He would pray that his children would know their sins, be convicted of their sins, repent of their sins. We read that he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Burnt offerings were those offerings to cover transgression and sin. And this is very remarkable because Job lived long before the Levitical priesthood was instituted. But nevertheless, from the very beginning of Adam and Abel and Abraham, God had taught his people the need of the sacrifice, 
the sacrifice specifically of the Lamb of God to take away the guilt, the stain of sin. God had promised an atonement for sin in the blood of the woman's seed, the woman's seed who would be the Son of God. Job knew that. He knew both the power of sin, the guilt of sin, and he knew the redemption promised in Jesus Christ. And so he prayed for his children about confession, conviction of sin. He prayed that his children would be pierced by the arrow of godly repentance and sorrow and be led to the cross where alone that sin could be bound, uh, put away. And so he was praying, Lord... Give them a tender heart in this hard world. Give them a heart to know Christ, not a careless heart. And then he prayed for purity, for holiness. Job sent and sanctified them. To sanctify is to set apart. It is to come apart for the service of God. It's to be brought away holy, to live as a friend of God. And so he was praying that they withstand temptations and that they be kept from defiling themselves and from the gripping, controlling power of sin in their lives. And he knew that he could not make them holy. He could not plant in them what God had planted in him, that seed of a desire to be obedient to God. He could not do that. He must teach them. He must rule over them. He must guide them. He must speak to them. But he knew that he could not do that. He knew only God could do that. And so he prayed. And he prayed earnestly. Their hearts, their hearts is exactly his chief concern. Their Christian walk, the forgiveness of sins, a holy life in this world. Not a make-believe Christian, but a true Christian before God. He brought them to God, and he named their names before God. And he prayed for them. Fathers, once again, we have many concerns. And elders, we have many concerns. And teachers and congregation, we have many concerns for our children and for our young people. We have lots of concerns. And we say as fathers there's not enough hours for us to go about all of these concerns and responsibilities. But there is one supreme concern. That we as an old, for ourselves, that we as fathers, elders, this generation, bringing up these, one, these precious covenant children that they recognize the old man of sin in them and that they are no match for that and the devil and we pray for their godliness for their repentance before God we bring them to the cross to the Savior, who alone can consecrate them to himself. We read in 3 John 4 that John says, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. 
So did Job. Only Job now is expressing it this way. I would have no greater pain than to see the remaining sin that I know is in them and in me control them, blind them, keep them. And so he knelt in prayer. The passage is emphasizing to us the fervency and the persistence of his prayers. Thus, the last words of the text, thus did Job continually. Now we might say to that, we might think of Job a little different at this point and say, well, he had time to do that, to offer these continual prayers day by day. He was a rich man, and we think of him now as with these ten children and their houses. He's retired. His children are enjoying some of his wise investments, his wealth. He has time on his hands. And so he can do this. But then we're not looking at this correctly because nothing in the book of Job indicates that he was simply removed from his family or removed from responsibilities or removed from the causes and needs of God. Everything tells us that he was involved with his family. He was involved with the people of God, with the poor and with the children. He was in there. He was participating In our terms, he was there serving in the church. He was there serving in the school. He was there working night after night on different committees. He was spending his time and his wealth for the kingdom of God. That's the way we read the book. It doesn't picture him uh, looking for now his own time to perhaps go and have that sail with his wife on the Arabian Sea or float down the Euphrates River, but he was involved in the church of Jesus Christ. He is, in this text, like his master, Jesus Christ. He is Christ-like. For a read of Jesus in the midst of all the work of God from morning till night till he's exhausted, we read of him that he rose early that he might pray. And there were three things that were behind this fervent, continual prayer for his children. Those three things are he was aware of his children's lives and needs. He was in touch. We read, And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. He knew the times of their getting together and when those times would cease. His children, at least his older sons, had left his home. They were in their brother's house. But that did not make Job disconnected from his son. And he was not disconnected if there were grandchildren. He was aware of what the family was doing. He kept abreast of the struggles of his 
children's lives. He was not simply off and gone, away from them, but he, they lived in his heart, and he prayed for them. And his children were aware that he was aware of them. His children knew that their dad was in tune with their lives, that he was not out of touch. He did not simply leave it to his wife. The second thing behind this fervency is not only is he aware, he's aware of the struggles of, of, of his teenager, of, of his daughter. He's talked to her. He's given her his heart, given his son his heart. He's aware. But with that awareness, there was involvement with each child. Job sent and sanctified, we read, for each one of them. So he communicated. He was involved with his children. His children knew, as I said, what he was doing, what he was praying for them. Probably he had many times when they were home invited them to pray with him. And he had prayed when they were at home in their presence. And when his children, before they left in their young adult years, when they were at home, he would pray in their presence with the family and he would pray for them and he would mention them. They knew that dad prays for me. And that his prayers were intimate. And that there was a spiritual relationship between father and child, between parent and child, on a spiritual level. He sought to know his children and they him. This is the foundation for our prayers. As a father, as an elder, as a parent, as a congregation, for the coming generation, an awareness, not just walking by them, and an involvement with them. And so we do things with them that's good. A Griffin's game, playing catch outside, different things, that's good. But it must be regularly around the table, supper time, or some time in the day around the table with food and prayer, in which father, and as they grow older, the children as well, are taught not only how to pray, but pray. And they're around the table and their needs and their names and the things they're struggling with are addressed by God, by the Father in prayer. This is a word to grandparents. We often on Sundays will have our Married children and grandchildren over, houses full, lots of noise. 
It's a time throughout the week that you're preparing. You're preparing what you want to say in the prayer, what you want to say to a grandson. In your prayer, you want, and in your life, you want to know that that son-in-law, you're praying for that son-in-law, for that daughter-in-law, for that grandchild. And so the third thing is that he was aware. It was involvement, and it was specific. He gave burnt offerings according to the number of them all. It was specific for the needs that they have. He brought those before God. Fervent prayer, the product of an awareness, love, but a love that is aware, a love that is involved, and a love that is specific concerning the needs of each one. This passage calls us as fathers, as elders, as a people of God, as teachers, again, any one of us entrusted in all of us as a generation, entrusted with the care of the coming generation. We have much to pray for. The form for baptism outlines it for us. We pray, incorporate them by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son. We pray, may they daily follow him, joyfully bearing their cross, not avoiding that cross that comes with discipleship. May they cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, ardent love. May they leave this life, which is only a continual death, and appear without terror before the judgment seat of God. We talk to them about death. We teach them that they be ready to die. We don't know when. Job didn't know when. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. It wasn't the first time that he thought about that. He was always thinking, so to speak, about his children and death and eternity and serving God now. And so we talk about that with our children. And then they grow up and we pray for them. We pray for obedience to mom. We pray for an understanding heart. We pray for kindness. The little boys and girls, they pray that you share, that you don't hit, that you confess your sin, that you learn to say truly, I am sorry, and what that means. And then they get older, and we become very concerned at a younger age of the influences of this wicked world which is coming at them. We, we are on guard. We are fighting with prayer over their souls. And as they mature, we talk to them about sexual purity. And we talk to them about the consequences of sin. And we talk to them about what it means to be strong and what it means to be wise. And we talk to them about godly relationships and spiritual growth. 
and we talk to them about commitment to the biblical reform faith and truth and to the church and to the people of God and to the kingdom of God and to the causes of God. These are all things that we lay upon their heart. We need to add that this is talking to us then as fathers, as a generation, as elders, as teachers, is saying to us that we need to have our priorities straight in our own lives. We must not, for our own lives, that our chief concern is that, well, we just want to live a peaceful life in this world if we can and enjoy this world now for what it is and have some success in this world. That's not our priority. Our priority is can we just sneak through? No. But our priority is the kingdom of God. Everything that we're praying for our child, it's important that your child sees it in you. And that we are on our knees. Let all of these things be true of us. And then it's also important for us to remember that our prayers for, as a congregation, fathers, parents, for our teenagers, for our children, that our prayers are a means of grace for them. And I've said a number of times about children knowing that my dad prays for me. And that there's been times in my life when my dad knew I was in trouble and knew there was an issue. And he not only came to admonish me, came not only to bring me God's word, but he prayed for me. Simon, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. My dad prays for me sometimes like that. Our prayers as a people of God for our children and for the next generation are grounded upon the rock of God's eternal covenant of grace with us and our children, something that Job knew as well. For in his testimony at the funeral of his ten children, he says the words, The Lord Jehovah gave, Jehovah And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord is Jehovah. The I am that I am. The one who is faithful in his promises. And who has promised. To continue a covenant with believers and their children. Not all of their children. But those children according to the election of his grace. And so based upon that covenant. 
Job prayed. Job understood that God had placed him to do this, to pray for his children. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a, kind, as a generation that is passing on God's truth, as a father, as an elder, as a teacher, let it be said of us, that we have been on our knees, that we have been before the throne of God, praying for our children, that he would perform his good pleasure, that he would lighten their hearts, that he would be their God, their hope and their strength. And that we have done this for their good, because we love them in the Lord. And we have done this for the glory of God in the coming generation. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We know that it is spoken in weakness, but it is Thy Word. So take away that which was said amiss. But by the Holy Spirit not only give us a mental understanding, but a renewed strength and encouragement that we might perform our office, the office also of priest in the kingdom of God, which we perform through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.